If you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead when it comes to travel, you have to try Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight is an app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute, up to seven days in advance. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or for indulging in a little staycation. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these cure last minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. This episode is also brought to you by Sports Crate, the exclusive subscription crate of MLB. It's not the same old baseball routine with Sports Crate during the dog days of summer. If you want to elevate your rallying rituals, Sports Crate delivers an easy plan to root for your team at home or in the stands. Use the discount code ALLIN10 to purchase August Crate for $10 off your order at www.sportscrate.com. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com, and so is my colleague and my co-host, Michael Bauman. Hello. Big news from the World University Games in Taipei. The United States is playing for the gold medal, so... World University Games. You're coming up with new levels of baseball now. Yeah. Did you make this up? I swear to God, it's true. Uh, <laughs> we actually didn't send the, the collegiate national team to Taipei this year. We just sent the University of Iowa wholesale, not the whole university, oh. just the baseball team. So, <laughs> yeah. so Iowa uh, beat the Czech Republic in the semifinal and will play either uh, South Korea or Japan for the, the gold medal. Oh, good job, Iowa. Just when yeah. I thought it was safe to podcast without college it's baseball. never safe. Never safe. It's a year-round sport. That's what they say about college baseball these mm-hmm. days. It's just 24-7, <laughs> <No off-season>. 365. <laughs> no. <laughs> so today we are doing a Game of Thrones crossover episode sort of. We're talking to two players who are notable Game of Thrones fans in baseball. First, Chris Stewart, backup catcher for the Pirates, who is a a big bookworm, the biggest bookworm I think you will find in baseball, and has read the books, has seen the show. We'll get to a a few spoilers in this interview, not many. If you haven't seen the finale yet, you might want to wait, but it's just about 10 minutes into that. Just briefly, we talk about that, but mostly it's about Stewart and his book reading history and his thoughts on the series in general, and then also baseball, because we still talk about that too. And then you also talked to Sean Kelly of the Nationals last week about Game of Thrones. Maybe a less rigorous Game of Thrones fan than Chris Stewart is, but still enthusiastic. And our colleague Kevin Clark has gotten a lot of mileage out of talking to Aaron Rodgers about Game of Thrones. So Chris Stewart and Sean Kelly, they're more our speed, I think. They're the the Ringer MLB show type of, of interview. They're the people yeah. that no one's, no one's asking about their Game of Thrones thoughts. So here we are exploiting an inefficiency. We we got to have a relief pitcher on. This is it yes, wouldn't be our brand if we didn't have a relief pitcher on to talk about issues of the no, day. Catchers and relief pitchers all day. So we did want to talk just briefly about a couple of people who have been hitting home runs on a daily basis in baseball. And we've already talked about John Carlos Stanton. And normally when you talk about the extreme hot streak, it won't continue after that point. It has continued after that point, and Stanton is now up to 50 home runs. We also want to talk about Reese Hoskins, 
who is up to 11 and is the fastest ever to reach that mark. And it's been sort of inspiring to watch both of these guys. And Stanton's homers are, are maybe more of the moonshot variety than Hoskins are, but they have all left the fence. And Hoskins, of course, someone you're familiar with as a recovering Phillies fan, but was not a top prospect, was more of a, a performance prospect in the minors, not on any top 100 lists ever. I just dug out my baseball America handbook from this spring, which ranked him as the Phillies' sixth best prospect. And it says Hoskins has skeptics, but his track record is difficult to dismiss. Then it goes on to say Hoskins doubters think he's more of a mistake hitter who has a longer swing with stiffness and holes that better pitchers will exploit. Not so far. Hoskins is slow-footed and isn't very agile, but he has improved his defense to become an adequate defender with good hands at first base. He doesn't have the same athleticism or tools as fellow Redding masher Dylan Cousins, but he's the better pure hitter. He'll start 2017 at AAA Lehigh Valley with a chance to get to Philadelphia by the end of the season. And he has definitely done that. Have you been a longtime Hoskins head or are you new to the cult too? The Phillies have a, a history of whenever they do something once and it works, like one of those low probability um, roster moves works once they do it over and over and over again. So the mm-hmm. thing about Hoskins, and I'm sort of sort of stealing from Matt Winkleman, who runs Crash Burn Alley and is probably the leading public expert on the Phillies farm system. What he said about Hoskins is those small college first base prospects who just perform and perform and perform, there is no room for error. So if yeah. anything goes wrong during had gone wrong during Hoskins's development, there's a pretty decent chance he doesn't make the big leagues at all. So this applies to the Phillies in a couple different ways. The first one is that about 12 years ago now, they hit on Ryan Howard, another mid-major first baseman who they took in the in the fifth round. And fifth round draft picks don't hit any better than that, both literally mm-hmm. and figuratively. And yeah. so this the other thing is Redding, their double-A park, is probably the best hitters park east of the Mississippi. So you get the oh it worked out for ryan howard and the combination of everybody who goes to redding hits 35 home runs and you get matt rosati and darren ruff and tag bozied and so like there was nothing really materially separating hoskins from any of those guys who either didn't stiff the majors or or came up and, and wound up not being very good so for that reason I sort of felt the appropriate stance on Hoskins was cautious optimism and cheese. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's hard not to <laughs> hard not to be optimistic now. I don't think 97.5, one of the big sports radio stations in Philadelphia, ran a, a poll saying, would you include Hoskins in a trade for Mike Trout or John Carlos Stanton <laughs> or would you yeah. rather keep him and build around him? And I last I checked, trade him for Trout was at 55 percent, trade him for Stanton was at 5 percent and keep Hoskins was around 40. So hmm. it's hard to blame Phillies fans for getting excited just because this team hasn't had a whole lot worth getting excited about. And this rebuild yeah. is sort of, I mean, we talked a little bit how they've been sort of tripping over their own feet with guys like Vince Velasquez getting hurt and JP Crawford suddenly and distressingly not hitting. So, you know, it's perfectly understandable to, you know, if you're not going to get excited about this, then what the hell are you going to get excited about? So sure. it's very, very cool. I have no idea how to project him going forward, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, the power is legit and like one in every 300 of these guys like i hate first base prospects because one out of out of 300 turns into 
Ryan Howard or Paul Goldschmidt or, you know, Trey Mancini's like Trey Mancini is like a 95th percentile outcome for a college first baseman. Yeah. So it's not generally not good business to get attached to him, but some of them do have everything go right. And certainly that seems to be the the case for for Hoskins so far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hoskins is, I think, five months younger than Bryce Harper. So it's not the earliest debut ever, but he has hit at every minor league level and his batted ball profiles have been pretty encouraging all the way up. He's a guy who's historically made a lot of contact and hit the ball in the air. And that's a good combination. And there are a lot of players like him, I think, with similar profiles who have maybe gone under the radar a little bit as prospects and then outperformed as as major leaguers. And Dave Cameron has comped him to Matt Carpenter. It's kind of a, a similar profile or, or Daniel mm-hmm. Murphy, Justin Turner, that type of guy who wasn't really highly touted for his physical skills, but really did have has skills that maybe weren't being recognized. So it has been a lot of fun. And as you say, it's been a, a depressing season for Phillies fans, although things are turning around, not just with Hoskins and, and some other guys on the big league roster who are doing better, but even you know J.P. Crawford is hitting now. So what seemed to be maybe a, a rebuild that was in the process of going off the rails is perhaps salvaging it. Itself. It's, Less off the rails than than yeah. we perhaps feared. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's still early in that process. And one thing I will note is that the Phillies haven't faced great pitching. I think if you if you go to baseball prospectus and you look for guys who have had at least 60 plate appearances in the majors. There are 469 of those guys. And Reese Hoskins has faced the 14th weakest collection of pitchers in that group. I mean, he's playing in the NL East, so he hasn't been facing elite aces necessarily. And of course, the usual thing you say about guys who have a hot streak as soon as they make the majors is that there will be holes that will be exploited and and that will happen eventually. But I think there's a bedrock of of skills there that's fairly solid. Oh, you want to talk about quality of competition. He's managed to do this without having the benefit of facing the Phillies pitching staff. So <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that's true. So is there anything that we can say about Stanton that we haven't already said in, in multiple podcast discussions of Stanton, who just continues to crank out home runs at potentially a record-setting rate? At what point does this turn into Jerry DePoto trading people, where we just have to talk about it every <laughs> week and just go, yep, yeah. and and move on. Yeah, I mean the lead is is so large is the thing and and this this high home run rate era that we've seen for the last couple of years has been characterized by no one really being the outlier and just everyone hitting 20 homers or 30 homers but no one hitting 50 or 60 or 70 and Stanton now as we speak has a 13 home run lead over Aaron Judge so he is just completely opened up this race. It's not a race. It's Stanton versus retired players in past seasons at this point. So he is really just breaking the wheel, I guess you could say. It would be one way to segue to our Game of Thrones discussion. That's but hilarious. It's, it's been very impressive to watch. And obviously, he's been hitting a lot of these home runs extremely hard and extremely far. So that's always the the nice thing about a Stanton home run binge is that it, it doesn't look like anyone else's home run binge. So yeah. I think it would still crazy to talk about him setting the record, probably despite the fact that the Marlins 
are going to be facing weak pitching, and and there's no reason really to to walk him because they're going to be facing a lot of teams that are out of contention. But I mean, he has single handedly really gotten the Marlins back into the wild card race. I mean, they are barely behind the Brewers here, and you look at their baseball reference page, and it's not <laughs> totally clear where the production is coming from aside from Stanton. I mean, it's really if you look at like the second half leaders in win probability added he is at the top by far and is really just kind of carrying this team in a way that it's not usually possible for baseball players to carry a team just because this is the season that we've seen like Kershaw get hurt and the Dodgers keep winning at a crazy pace or Trout gets hurt and the the Angels play just as well without him as they played with him and so that sort of sent home the message that one player no matter how good cannot really ruin a season or make a season but Stanton is is doing his best to make that not the case here yeah, I guess having, you know, he's essentially got an, an extra 350 points of slugging. They, yep. you know, if that comes from somewhere, I guess it to a certain extent it doesn't matter if it only comes from one person. And what you brought up about how it, there hadn't been any outlier home run seasons, that's one thing that as a, I had been peddling your uh, your juice ball theory across the league for the past couple of years. I'd never had a good answer for why isn't there, you know, if, if the ball is juice, why isn't anybody hitting 50 or 60 home runs? It turns out the answer to that question is because John Carlos Stanton hasn't been healthy. <laughs> And that's <laughs> yeah. all it took. Yeah. No, I, I thought that, if anything, supported the idea that there's something different about the baseball. Because if you, if you look, the different classes of hitters have been affected in different ways. And I, I think that's because there is sort of a, a fly ball sweet spot where when you hit the ball a certain distance, it becomes disproportionately more likely to turn into home run just because of where the outfield fences are. And so you've seen guys, I would have said, like Stanton, who can hit the ball out of any ballpark by a mile, not benefit as much from the ball changing because they were already reaching that sweet spot. Whereas Freddie Galvis was not reaching that sweet exactly spot. Exactly the person I was. I mean, that's yes. that's the guy who who you right. point to, to. Yeah, and so I, I thought that actually did make sense. But here comes Stanton just opening up a, a massive lead over any other hitter in baseball. So it's been a lot of fun to watch, and so has Game of Thrones. Da, 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 da. All right, let's get to our guests. And first, we will bring in Chris Stewart. So back in 2013, I remember going into the Yankees clubhouse. I was working on a story about catcher framing, as I often am. And I talked to someone who has historically excelled at that skill, who was at that time the Yankees catcher, Chris Stewart. And I noticed that he was reading something in the clubhouse, as it seems like he always is. And it was A Song of Ice and Fire. I believe it was the third book, maybe A Storm of Swords. I I can't remember for sure. But we talked a bit about that at the time. And then I also talked to Chris the following year. I went to the Pirates clubhouse where he was catching. And uh, he was also reading something at the time. And he is still with the Pirates. He is their backup catcher. And he has caught up on Game of Thrones, the show. He has read the books. We wanted to have him on now after the season finale to talk about the series and also a bit about baseball. This is a baseball podcast. He joins us now. Hi, Chris. 
Hey guys, how you doing? Doing well. So one thing I think that we're always curious about is how players keep up on shows just because you guys are always traveling, you're in different hotels all the time. So what was your setup for watching the finale on Sunday night? I had my HBO Go on my iPad. I tried to watch it. I wanted to watch it on the TV in the hotel, but unfortunately they don't carry HBO. So I had to uh-huh. go had to go the, the mobile route and go with my iPad, but I was able to get it in, able to watch. I had to actually catch up on uh, last, last week's show as well. So I caught two in last night, got them all. I'm all cut up now. Uh-huh. And is it a, a team activity ever? Are there a lot of guys on the Pirates into it or just in baseball in general that you're aware of? Well, I think, yeah, I think it's kind of an individual basis. Um, guys kind of watch it on their own. Like I said, it's kind of tough with our schedules, you know, when we can get it in, when we can't. Um, some guys are watching the clubhouse. Um, other guys like me wait till we get to a hotel. Um, I can't watch it, you know, in my home city. My family's there, obviously, you know, I take time away from them. So uh, on the road, it's kind of when I catch up with everything, books, uh, my shows, um, kind of everything uh, when I'm on my own. So, yeah, I was able to catch up last night. I'm excited I did. So how long ago did you finish the series? And, and are you more of a, a book fan or a show fan? Or are they equal in your eyes? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I finished the book series probably three years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely love the books. Um, I'm a big book fan anyway. Um, I think books are usually better than shows or movies just because you, know, you can go in more detail. Um, there's more you know, imagination involved, um, whereas you know, the movies, there's only so much you can do. But I thought the shows actually did an amazing job of following along the books. Um, I mean, they couldn't branch off as many different places or you'd be all over the place. People would be, you know, tough to follow those. Um, but at the same token, I feel like they did a great job, you know, with the main story, following all the, the main characters and the uh, the action scenes were unreal. The dragons were amazing. I, I, mean, I don't think I could imagine the dragons looking any cooler than how they did it on the show. So um, big fan of both. Um, obviously, the books are a little better, but you know, the shows can't, can't, you know, go wrong with those either. So as someone who's read the books, how do you feel about how the, the show sort of taken off on its own over the past two years as they've, you know, as they've run out of source material to, to crib from? Yeah. I mean, I really love, you know, George R. R. Martin, um, you know, his, just his mind, the way, you know, he would, kind of cast off characters unexpectedly. Just, I love the way he wrote. And I wish that, yes, he would have kept writing from the original books. But, you know, apparently, you know, I looked into it. He, you know, he takes his time on those books. He makes sure that they're <laughs> perfect before he throws them out there. And unfortunately, the show was catching up to the books and then finally surpassed it. And then, you know, just came to the point where they couldn't wait any longer. Um, I heard he's coming out with another one. Um, I'm not sure, you know, which direction that's going to go and whether it's going to follow the show, whether the, you know, the, the show's writers, you know, consulted with him um, based on, you know, where he wanted the story to go. And then if he's going to follow that or if it's going to branch off something totally different. But, you know, I'm excited to see to read his book again when it comes out. Um, like I said, I don't know which way it's going to go, but it's probably going to be good no, no matter what. So what what drew you to this story? Because there's I mean, I I got into it despite not being a big like magic and wizards and dragons kind of kind of nerd. You know, is that something that you do you find yourself reading a, a lot of that genre of books or, or if, if not, how else did you uh, did you get into it? Yeah, I didn't used to. Um, I think it was a recommendation from uh, maybe one of my teammates or a friend of mine. I, I can't really remember, but they knew I liked to read. So, you know, that genre, I was more of a history reader historical fiction sometimes but a lot of biographies and whatnot but they recommended it. i said hey you gotta check this book out um you know it's really interesting it's gonna 
you know, keep your, keep your interest. And, um, so I, you know, I picked up the first one and really put it down. It was 1300 pages. I probably read it in a week. Um, you know, it was just nonstop, you know, page turner after page turner, and then you'd finish a chapter and then you couldn't put it down. You just keep reading and reading and reading. And before you know it, the book's over. And then I had to go buy the, the other three on top of that to make sure I got the whole series in. But yeah, I was, you know, I'm kind of hooked on that, that genre. Now I picked up, um, the Hobbit after that similar, you know, tech story. Um, and then I'm into like kind of space sci-fi now, mm-hmm. some other recommendations from uh, teammates that they got me into. So I kind of read, you know, anything and everything, as long as it's written well, and as long as it's got a good story and good background, um, you know, I'm all for it. So we'll come back to the the space thing. Cause we're both big <laughs> space people. So if we got time, I'll <laughs> pick your brain for recommendations. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you what kind of reactions you get from your teammates. It sounds like you're getting recommendations from them, but like when you started game of Thrones or, or a song of ice and fire, the, the, Sirius had not blown up on HBO to quite the extent that it has in, in the last couple of years. So were you getting any skepticism from people who were seeing these giant fantasy books and that's not really the typical clubhouse activity or, or were people just intrigued? Oh, no, it was definitely like, who's this nerd? Um, you know, I had my, <laughs> my huge book in front of me reading um, during my quiet yeah. time. Other guys are, you know, playing video games, watching TV, whatnot. So. Right. Um, but definitely, I mean, once the show started coming out, you know, the first season was still, people weren't too sure about it. Um, but then it caught fire and everybody else was like, okay, I see what you're, you know, you're, you're talking about when you're reading those books and you're into them. And, you know, the shows came out, I'm like, dude, you guys need to read the books. They're, they're so much better than the show. Um, even, you know, how good the show is, but you know, they finally caught on and they understand now. And I think, you know, I've been with the Pirates for four years now, so all these guys know, you know, I'm a big reader, so it's not, you know, odd to see me just sitting on the couch reading a book here and there. Um, a lot of guys come to me for book recommendations saying, hey, you know, what's what's a good book to pick up? Um, some people, you know, have never read before, obviously, never read for fun before. So, you know, they ask mm-hmm. for my good recommendation, kind of break the ice into the, the reading realm. Um, so, you know, I'll throw some different books out there. Other guys, you know, they're avid readers and just trying to pick up something new and then I'll throw out something else and, so, but yeah, my new, uh, one of the recommendations, the, the space sci-fi, um, it was a, it's called the red rising series. Um, mm. but basically it's, you know, hunger games on Mars. Um, you know, these guys are trying to survive and overthrow the government. It's, it's really good. And it was a recommendation from Trevor Williams on our team. I don't know how he found it, but you know, he recommended it to me and, you know, I picked them up and same thing, read the first one and then ordered the next two right after that. And then there's a third one coming out in January that I have pre-ordered. So <laughs> kind of on that series, and I think it's. I think he told me that they're coming out with a uh, movie about the first one too. So it's kind of exciting that you know it's following that same realm as Game of Thrones as well. Mm-hmm. So with as much traveling as you do, do you have a Kindle, or are you just toting around half a dozen paperbacks at any one time? Yeah, I am a hard copy guy. I've tried, you know, reading on the tablet, and for some reason my eyes don't don't appreciate that. And I think the biggest thing for me with the actual physical copy is accomplishment when I actually get to turn a page or, you know, close that book. Um, I don't know what it is, a physical turning of the page feels like I'm doing something special instead of swiping across the screen. So yeah, I'm definitely a, a hard copy guy and I'll, I'll have around, you know, three, three books at a time. Um, I, I can't read multiple books at the same time, but I always have backups in case I finish one early and, 
you know, I, I can't not have a book on me. So I make sure I have, you know, extras just in case I finish one before I'm ready for it. Mm. And when you do finish, do you just toss them? Do you lend them out? Is there like a pirate's lending library? Someone will just adopt it after yeah. you're finished with it or? No, we should do that. Though. That's actually a good idea. No, I actually, if it's a good book and I know, you know, someone may be into it, I'll drop it off with them. Um, my parents are both big readers as well. So it's like a historical book, a biography or something I was really into. They're kind of into that thing too. So, you know, I'll pass it off to them. Um, if not, you know, if it's some regular book, I'll, I'll donate them at the end of the year to uh, the Salvation Army or some other organization that, you know, could use those books. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, and then and there's others where, you know, I just kind of store my library. Uh, makes me look smart at home. I'll just put it up in the bookshelf <laughs> and you know, people will see that. I'm like, you read that? I'm like, I actually did. So. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's just different variations of where the books go afterwards. Mm-hmm. Has this always been the case for you? Were you a, a reader at an early age, and were you always kind of the the outlier? Because you know, as you mentioned, you walk into a clubhouse and you just don't really see that. Guys are on their headphones, they're on their phones, they're listening to music, they're maybe looking at a tablet or something. Maybe they're doing some sort of prep for the game, but often they're just you know, watching stuff and, and you don't really see guys sitting around with, with books very often, which is why it caught my eye when I saw you doing that. Yeah, no, actually I couldn't stand reading when I was younger. Um, you know, when you were forced to read in school, um, I was actually not good. My mind would wander, you know, I'd end up 20 pages later and I had no idea what I just read because I just blanked out the entire time. So I couldn't, I don't know, for some reason reading when I was forced to was not up my alley, but as I started playing minor league baseball, we had so much time, whether you're on the you know bus ride, eight hour bus rides, or you're just sitting in a hotel or you're at the field, just sitting around waiting to take batting practice. Um, there was so much downtime and that was before the tablets and before the smartphone. So you really didn't have much to do um, other than just kind of sitting in your locker, hoping that there was a TV actually you can watch. So someone recommended, I remember it was the first book I picked up the, for enjoyment was Da Vinci Code. Um, someone recommended it to me, said it is a really good book. So I picked it up and I read it. And same thing. I just, was hooked from that instant. Um, I probably finished that in like three or four days and then couldn't wait for to get the next book. I think Angels and Demons was after that. And then, you know, once I got those two, then it was just, you know, wide open to where I'm going to go after. And I'm glad I did because it kills. So we have so much downtime still. And you know, it's just something that kind of eases my mind, gets my mind off of baseball. I'm not a big music guy, so I'm not going to have my headphones on. I'm just kind of listening to music wherever. So having a book on me at all times, it, you know, it's, keeps my interest, keeps me entertained, um, you know, and that definitely kills a lot of downtime for me. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to estimate how many books you may have gone through here because you've, this is your 11th big league season, I guess your 16th professional season. Do you have yeah. any ballpark idea here, no pun intended, how many books you might go through in a, a typical season? I'd say probably on average around 20 maybe, and it's usually just during spring training the season. When I get home in the off season, when I'm back with my family, um, you know, their my time is their time, so don't have much time for reading. Then maybe you know a couple, a chapter or two before I go to bed. Um, but other than that, you know, my time is devoted to them. And so it's basically, yeah, just maybe I'd say around twenty books during the season or so, knocking out three, four, five in a month, and then mm-hmm. you know shutting it down and kind of just collecting. That's what I do in the off season. I collect you know books I'm looking forward to reading um, in spring training in the season. So I'll I'll go to spring training with probably a good 
10 or so books that I've, you know, picked up throughout the off season, ready to read once the season starts. So let's go back into the show. What do you make of, of this last season? You know, the plots picked up, you know, a lot of the, the previous conventions have sort of been dropped. So, you know, how have you been reacting to all that? Well, I, I, I mean, I kind of predicted what was going to happen. Um, especially, you know, the, the last show, you knew that Cersei wasn't going to, you know, abide by the, somebody else's rules or whatever. So I kind of saw that happening um, when it, you know, when she, you know, came to the meeting afterwards and, you know, agreed to, yeah, you know, uh, we're going to provide our troops, you know, for the, the great war. He said, is she really going to do that? And then at the end, okay, it makes sense. Yeah. She's Cersei, you know, she's not going to do anything that you would expect her to do. So um, I saw that um, the white dragon, when he, when he went in the ice after, you know, you definitely saw, you know, the, repercussions of you know the white walkers bringing him back to life as a, a white dragon basically and, and when they brought down the wall at the end it was really cool um john and daenerys you kind of predicted that was going to go down you didn't know that he was going to be a targaryen and so that's kind of an interesting plot twist you know them hooking up at the end of the show and where does that go from there so i think uh you know it's i disappointed the season ended because i definitely want to see what's going to happen next but i guess that's the whole idea is to keep your interest going that way you're plugged in for the next season. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Uh, it's probably going to be entertaining just like this season was and kind of just see where the story's going to go from there. Are you someone who goes online and looks up rumors and theories and really tries to get into the, the esoteric stuff or, or are you just kind of, I try not to, I try to be surprised. Um, but I'm a big, I go on Yahoo news all the time, not just for, you know, entertainment purposes, but for just kind of seeing what's going on in the world and whatnot. And you, there's these little posts that saying, you know, game of Thrones, rumors and stuff like that and you just can't help but to look at the headline i try not to whenever i see something game of thrones i try to look away but sometimes you can and it just catches your attention and you read it but yeah i try not to go too far into it because when i watch the season i want to be surprised i don't really want to know what's going to happen but the same token it's kind of tough not to so um i try to formulate my own ideas and what's going to happen and then see if they they're correct when they do yeah, one criticism I've had of of this past season is it just feels it feels like it's a little too predictable. Like it's sort of painted itself into a, a corner of this is how things were laid out in ter- like prophecies in the book, and you know it's, it just feels like everything's following some sort of fan theory. I was wondering if if you thought the same thing. I agree. Yeah, uh, it's not definitely like season one when you know Ned you know ended up getting going to the chopping block. Uh, that freaking that the red wedding. Um, I mean, those two plot twists were just out of this world. And you're like, what the heck is going on? So I think, yeah, definitely it's following more towards, you know, what people expect these seasons. There's no really ridiculous plot plot twists yet, but maybe they're setting up for one huge one coming up. So, yeah, I'm looking more forward to that, hoping that, yeah, something crazy happens that you weren't expecting. But I definitely feel like this season, yeah, it was everything just kind of followed with what you were expecting to happen. Do you have any predictions for the, the final six or so episodes? I don't, I don't want, I don't think I want to. I just want to see, you know, what they come up with. You know, I feel like if I predict it and it comes, you know, if that's what happens, I'm like, Oh, it's kind of a letdown. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they just surprise everybody with something crazy and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Who's your favorite character? Uh, I like Tyrion. Yeah. I don't know why, you know, he's, Obviously, he's got a great mind, and he, you know, he thinks ahead, and he's obviously had to had to use his mind over his physical prowess um, throughout his life. So I just think, you know, his character, um, the actor, does an amazing job mm-hmm. um, acting him out. And I just, you know, I like following him along and see what he's going to do next. Rough season for Tyrion. Not a lot of things <laughs> went his way. 
<laughs> it was, yes. <laughs> so one thing that I just sort of can't get over is at some point, John is going to find out that he's Daenerys's nephew. And the show is sort of playing this like, like we're supposed to be rooting for this relationship to happen. And I'm curious how on board you are with that because i talked to sean kelly from the nationals last week and he said you know it's weird to us but in the universe of the show this is this is sort of how things go and you know some people fall on that that side of the spectrum but other people are like this is a bizarre thing to ask us to root for in the year 2017 so i want to know where you fall on that oh i mean it is what it is obviously you see that cersei and her brother hook up so I think it's kind of follows in along the, the family lineage, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, it's a little, little weird um, seeing them then get together and find out that they're, they're aunt and nephew and um, just the whole dynamic. Uh, it just goes with the show. I don't think it's any, any more of a surprise after you saw a brother and sister hooking up in, in week one or you know season <laughs> yeah. one. So I think it's just it's Game of Thrones. You just chalk it up to that and you go with it. Just embrace it, Michael. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. I, can't. I, I, I think <laughs> it it's weird. I'm the only person in the world who's still creeped out by this. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I, I, like I said, if, it, if if brother and sister didn't hook up in season one, yeah, it's probably seen the same way. But now that you know they've kind of gone over that hurdle, it's just it is what it is. <laughs> and. Do people look at you as a, an authority like other people on the team who watch the show since you've read the books and maybe have a, a deeper perspective on some stuff? Do people come to you and say, what, did this make sense? What, I didn't understand this. Does this. Do you follow this? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm an authority, but they definitely, I think we bounce ideas off each other, especially before this you know, final episode came out. Um, we would you know, kind of question each other where we thought the, the show was going to go and the story was going to go and what's going to happen to who and you know, where the whole you know, world was going to end up. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun when other guys are watching the show as well. And you can kind of bounce ideas off each other and see what each other thinks is going to happen and um, just follow along the whole show basically together. Mm -hmm. This is sort of like it might actually be unique in pop culture today that like Game of Thrones is a water cooler television show, which is unusual in the the age of Netflix and cable and and all that. You know, is there another pop culture, whether it's it's a book series or, or TV series or movie that is, you know, that sort of brings people together in the clubhouse to talk about it like this? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'd say Game of Thrones is obviously definitely at the top. Um, I remember... You know, in the baseball clubhouse when Eastbound and Down was mm. being aired, mm. um, you know, that was kind of a funny one to follow along. You know, we kind of not necessarily relate to it, but we can, you know, laugh along together um, with the story. And there's some some things in there that, um, you know, happened in our lives as well that we, like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny that they made it, you know, put a spin on that and, and made it funny. But, yeah, I'd say definitely Game of Thrones kind of transcends, you know, all different, different uh, likes and dislikes and, I think a lot of us can follow along and kind of enjoy it all together. Did baseball players watch Pitch at all? The Fox show with Jenny Baker? I don't think I haven't heard anybody yet watching it. I know my parents watched it. They followed along for a season. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's a big, big show. I think a lot of us, I don't even know if it's on Netflix. It's, it's tough for a lot of us to watch like live television, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, playing seven o'clock games a lot. So unless yeah, someone's recording it, if it's not on Netflix, it's on, you know, HBO Go or Hulu or, or whatnot. It's, it's tough for a lot of us to follow on those shows. Yeah. I, I don't think enough people watched it in general because it, uh, it was <laughs> yeah. not renewed. <laughs> so, um, yeah. are there any shows that come close to Thrones level entertainment value for you? I mean, I watched, um, the walking dead mm -hmm. by the first six seasons. So I followed along that. I know some other guys, you know, sporadically watched it here and there. Um, 
Breaking Bad, I, I followed on Netflix. Um, I love that show. But I think, yeah, once you get outside of the game, Game of Thrones, you know, it's just a lot of individual interests. And some people, you know, watch certain things versus others. Um, so I'm a big movie guy, too. So I'll just kind of catch up on movies whenever I can as well. But, yeah, it's like I said, as far as shows, it's kind of whatever, you know, I'm kind of interested in. I want to – that show Turn, I really want to get into. I read a uh, a book on, you know, Benedict Arnold and the whole spy American spy ring, British spy ring during the Revolutionary War. And mm-hmm. apparently the, the show Turn follows that along really well. So that's kind of in my, my next uh, list of shows to watch. Mm-hmm. Definitely not the, the cultural phenomenon that the Game <laughs> no. of Thrones is. No, so. exactly. Yeah, a little different. <laughs> Michael, you have anything else about Thrones? Uh, no, we can go to baseball. You know, eventually we have to talk about baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious about how you maintain your relationship with the pitching staff. Like you've always been someone who's prized for his defense and communicating with pitchers and receiving pitches and that sort of thing. And in a part-time role, is it tough at all for you to forge those connections with your pitchers that you need to have to work well with them in games or, or how has your ability to do that improved as you've aged and, and gained some experience? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, whether you're playing a lot, or you're not playing a lot. Um, you know, when I don't play, obviously my main role, um, I sit on the bench with a lot of the pitchers and just kind of chit chat. We'll watch the game together and, you know, bounce ideas. Hey, you know, I would throw this in this situation or, you know, this is probably a good pitch. This guy's doing this. So in that respect, you know, we're talking about the game a lot more than, you know, if I was in there playing every day, but same token, if I'm in there every day, kind of how I am now, I'm able to see what the pitchers are doing. I'm able to kind of correct some mistakes and help them out there, you know, during the game um, while it's going on. So um, in that respect, you know, there's a lot of activity together. Whereas if I'm not playing, it's a lot of just communication together. So I think I try to do whatever I can when I can communicate with the pitchers, you know, how I think they can be best successful out there to help our team and whatever it is, um, whether they know, you know, I'm in there scouting, I'm watching video, I'm, you know, refreshing myself on, on the team that we're going to play to best prepare a, a game plan against them. So I think they trust that they trust, they respect what I put in. And when they go out there on the mound, I think they, they trust me a lot to where they don't really have to think too much. And it's basically going out and executing pitches at that point. Mm-hmm. What makes a pitcher easier difficult to, from a receiver's perspective? Because you've got a pitching set that sort of runs the gamut in terms of command and stuff. So, you know, what makes a, a pitcher easier difficult to catch? I think you, what makes it easier to catch is throwing it where it's supposed to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, yeah, I've had some pitchers in the past that they had no clue where it was going. They threw really hard. And so basically I turn into a hockey goalie back there and I'm just trying to stop the ball from going to the backstop. Um, and that's not fun. That's That makes for a tough day behind the plate. But our pitching staff here is great. You know, they have a really good idea of what they want to do, um, how they want to do it. And they're able to execute a lot of pitches when we need them, where we need them. And it's, it's a lot of fun for me to be back there. Um, so... Game planning for, for our pitching staff is pretty, pretty simple. They have a good idea of what, what needs to be done, and they're able to execute those pitches out there. And I think that's what, when it comes down to the end of the day, you know, it's all about executing pitches, and our, our guys are really good at that. And during your time with the team, the Pirates have had a, a very clear philosophy when it comes to pitching, it seems, whether it's, you know, 
pitching inside or or throwing sinkers. You know, they're very identifiable pirates tactics. And some guys come to the team and are able to change their approach. Guys like Gavon Nova, for instance, and, you know, pounding the strike zone and, and throwing lower inside and, and have a lot of success with that. Other guys, I would imagine, have a tougher time just changing the way that they pitch in the middle of their career when they come to a team. So, how tough is that for some guys, and, and how do you help ease their transition to this pirate system that might be different from where they pitched previously? Yeah, like you said, um, you know, guys coming up through the system, they're they're born and taught, um, you know, our philosophies. So when they get up here, you know, nothing really changes. But the guys that come over, um, it, it can be a little bit of a, an adjustment period, um, you know, buying into our philosophies, why we do what we do, and just realizing that, you know, you can have success doing what we do. Um, but I think we do a good job of bringing guys over that kind of fit into the, the philosophy already. Guys that are good at, you know, sinking the ball in, throwing, throwing inside, that they're comfortable doing that. Um, so it's not that big of a transition for them to make. Like you said, Ivan Nova, real big sinker ball guy in the past. Basically comes over, not really much changes. Uh, maybe, you know, a tweak here and there um, to get him to be able to be more effective doing what he naturally does well. So um, I think, like I said, we do a good job of bringing those guys in. There's other guys that, you know, we feel or that the, you know, top organization feels that would be easy to adjust to the new philosophy. Um, you know, guys with, that are not stubborn, they're not, you know, sold in their, their ways, they're not going to change into, into what we think would make them more successful. Um, so I think we do bring good, great personalities. And we have a great pitching coach that helps them along with Ray Searage. Um, you know, guys, amazing, great personality always upbeat, always uh, positive. And I think guys buy into that as soon as they meet him, as soon as they start working with him and, you know, they, they make his adjustments. And then, I mean, you, we've seen the results of guys coming over and kind of resurrecting their career over here because of him. And you know, it just goes to show that, you know, our philosophy works if you're willing to buy into it. And how does he or, or you, how do you make that case to the player that they need to change something that they've been doing? Is it based on video? Is it based on stats? Is it just, hey, it worked for this guy and now he got a big free agent deal? Yeah. How, how do you convince people to do that? <laughs> um, I think I think it's pretty easy once you see, you know, the results of, you know, like you said, guys in the past that came over and they made the adjustment and, you know, the results kind of speak for themselves. But I think it all comes down to trust. If you're willing to trust the people that are trying to help you out, then, you know, you're going to make that adjustment. If you don't have that trust, then, you know, it's, it's going to be tough and you're going to be stubborn and you're going to stick to your ways usually. So I think, you know, Ray's personality is a very trusting personality. You know, he's, he's not in it for himself. He's in it for you, trying to make you the best player that you can be. Then once you buy into that trust, you see the results that come from it. And I think many guys have come through and many guys have seen the, the results because of that. You were behind the plate last week during that near Rich Hill perfect game. I'm just what was he throwing? How do you, you know, how do you even try to hit somebody like that when he's on and what was that game like to to be a part of yeah it was amazing um you like you said his stuff he was on um the crazy thing was is you know his stuff wasn't all that dominating he just was throwing it exactly where he wanted it to go keeping us off balance you know missing in different tempos and speeds um and it just we we couldn't you know get a hit against them they made some good plays in the in the the field against us and, you know, to keep the, the perfect game alive. And the same token, it wasn't, it wasn't like we were just trying to get a hit. We were trying to, you know, push around, get runners on base, push runners across. It was a nothing, nothing game. So it wasn't like it was a five, nothing game. And we're just trying to break up a no hitter. No, we're, we're still tied. We're still trying to get this win. So we're trying to get it done any way possible. And on the ninth inning, perfect game still alive. Um, you know, Jordy hits the ball to third base, third baseman, 
you know, boots it. Uh, he ends up on first base. I come up next. I butt the guy over. So we still have a runner on second. Still no hit. And we're waiting, you know, that we were saying that first stick could have come in, you know, drive the, the game-winning run in from second base for, for our one hit and, and the win. But didn't happen that inning. But then, you know, Jay Hay comes up in the 10th. And, you know, Rich Hill's back out there with the no-hitter stone packed. And, you know, the rest is history. But, you know, it obviously sucks for him. Um, giving up the one hit and giving, getting the loss in the 10th inning. But, you know, that's what we were fighting. We were fighting for that win. And we happened to get it with one hit in the 10th inning. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, when you've missed time over the past few years, it's generally been with lower body issues. You've had a couple of knee surgeries and some muscle strains, and you're one of the, the biggest catchers in baseball. You're 6'4", and yeah. I, I'm wondering if those things are related at all, whether all that crouching has, has taken some toll, and if you do see a connection there, what are you able to do to maintain yourself, or or what kind of therapies can you do throughout the season to, to keep yourself going. Yeah, that's funny. I asked the same thing. Um, when I, after I had my uh, second knee surgery, um, I went to Dr. Andrews. I'm like, all right, so this is my second one, different knees. What can I do to, you know, prevent this from happening in the future? And he basically said, stop catching. <laughs> yeah. So I, I said, well, yeah, it's kind of not, not an easy decision for me to make. Is there anything else? He's like, no, not really. It's kind of a, it's a sign of, um, you know, getting older, catching a lot, um, just wear and tear, constant wear and tear on the knees is, what's going to make that happen. So, you know, with that going in, you know, I had a, a great recovery um, this off season. Um, I, I lost about 10 pounds. I got lighter. So I think that took a lot of load off my knees. And I basically honed all the muscles around the small muscles around my knees, uh, my quads, my hamstrings to make sure that, you know, those took the brunt of, of the squatting. Then it wasn't my knees, um, you know, up and down, just constantly taking the blows. So I think that's definitely helped me out a lot this year. I had a, a freak, hamstring pull when I tried to leg out a triple uh, early in the season. But other than that, um, my knees have felt great. My body's felt great. Um, I feel like I'm 25 again. So I think uh, definitely my body's holding up better than I expected it to coming after a, a second knee surgery. So I'm excited for that. And hopefully, you know, my knees hold up for another three, four more years. You've had two triples this year. <laughs> this is your uh, your age yeah. age 35 season. Those are your first two triples right, in the yeah. majors ever. So I guess. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what happened? Yeah, I was going to freeze over now or what? But yeah, it was just kind of funny. I waited this long and then I get two in the same year. <laughs> So just to, to take us out, do you want to give us the, the pantheon of Chris Stewart book recommendations? It doesn't have to be genre. It could be sci-fi fantasy or it could just be anything. Just your your go-to, top of the list, your favorite books ever, the ones you would just yeah. recommend first. Yeah, my first one, I would say, is a book called Unbroken. Um, they made a movie about it, about the, the World War II bombardier who crashed in the waters in Japanese territory and then ended up going to, you know, Japanese prison camp and basically his story and the resurrection and of his life. And, you know, when he came back and he found Christ and it was an amazing story. So I definitely recommend that as my number one. The Dan Brown books, Da Vinci Code was the first book I read for entertainment um, about 15 years ago. And that kind of set me off. So anybody looking yeah, for a first book to kind of jump into, that's my recommendation. Um, recently, I read a really cool, as a guy's diary, he ended up uh, getting captured by the Confederacy during the Civil War, and he went to Confederate prison camp, and he kept a diary of his whole his whole experience there, hmm. um, basically a year and a half in, in the Confederacy prison camp that was just horrible, and reading his day-to-day journal entries um, throughout that time was really cool. So um, that, and then some other biographies. I read a, a Benjamin Franklin bio, biography by Walter Isaacson. Um, mm-hmm. He does amazing work in 
biographies. So, um, and then that Red Rising series, the sci-fi genre for me, basically Hunger Games on Mars was really cool to watch. And like I said, they're coming out with a movie about it, I'm pretty sure. So I'm excited to see that as well. Mm -hmm. When your playing days are done, are are you going to do anything different from baseball, do you think? Would would you want to stay in and and keep coaching, that kind of thing? Or might you consider writing something or or doing something related to your your love of reading? Yeah, I think think all of the above. I mean, I I won't be able to give up baseball completely. Um, It's definitely not going to be the main focus of my life, kind of how it is now. Um, I'm going to focus on my family and and friends back home, but, you know, it's still going to definitely be involved. I like to get involved with my church a little bit more. Probably a lot of, you know, baseball camps um, for youth in the area, a lot of philanthropic work. Uh, It's basically charitable stuff I like to get involved with. And then, yeah, definitely maybe some writing. Um, You know, I thought about, I don't know when my last year is, but I thought it'd be cool um, whenever I know it's going to be my last season in. Um, maybe keep a journal yeah. um, throughout that year, just kind of my experiences, you know, how uh, day-to-day life, um, knowing that, you know, next year is going to be a little different. So that's, that's definitely a thought. And then, I don't know, maybe some other kind of writing as well, but yeah, it's, there's definitely so many opportunities. Uh, not quite sure. Hopefully we don't have to go down that road for, like I said, another three or four years, but we'll see when the time comes. Well, Ben's just trying to get you uh, to, to help him with his catcher framing book that he's going to write with Tyler <laughs> oh, Flowers. Okay, so. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure. Thank you, Chris, for, uh, for coming on and sharing with us. And we're glad that you, uh, are the game of Thrones baseball expert. As far as we're concerned, I don't know how many, how many book readers there are who have read the whole series in, in major league baseball. It seems like that list is probably pretty short. So I'm glad we, we found one. So thank you very much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. All right. And we will be back in just a second with a much shorter conversation with Nationals pitcher Sean Kelly. So let's start off with, were you a book reader? Did you? No, you know? no I just, uh, I heard about it and, you know, the, the whole kind of old timey thing with the, with the Kings and, and shows like that, like I've always kind of been up my alley, I'm always fascinated with shows like that or movies like that. So even if they're kind of silly or far out there, I still give them a shot. So even though I didn't really know much about it, I remember six, seven years ago, whatever it was, I was just like, all right, I'll start this show. And then I was just hooked from day one. So I imagine if you got an after noon game you're probably home by nine o'clock on the east coast oh, yeah. but you know yeah. when you're on the road do you try to stream it from your oh, yeah. hotel or you know how do you, yeah, yeah, how do you watch TV or whatever like uh we had a little team get together this last sunday and we all watched it we streamed it we got in late after it aired so we watched it back on hbo go there's about 10 of us in, uh, in my room and we all got together and caught up on it so, so how i'm much, obviously not the only person yeah. in baseball that likes the show no every bullpen has at least right. one guy who's really in i would say more than that yeah. So how deep do you, like, are you going on, like, Reddit threads and thinking, you know, trying to figure stuff out? Are you just sort of taking uh, it? I kind of just make my own. I don't, I'll talk and hear about it with guys or, like, media people or whatever, but I don't, I don't I'm not big on spoilers. Mm-hmm. Like, watching, I don't even like to watch after the show, like, what's coming next. Oh, really? Because I don't want to know what's going to happen because I feel like it ruins it for me. So, um, so I don't really read much. I just kind of digest the show and talk about what happened in the previous episode and make my own uh, outlandish uh, guesses as to what's going to happen. So let's hear it. What's your outlandish guess? I mean, right now I'm kind of confused. I had some earlier, but I just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, 
I don't think Jon Snow's going to want to be on the, on the throne. And I don't think Khaleesi's going to be able to, to be on it with her dragons and the Dothraki and King's Landing. I think she's going to have to go back to Marine. So I'm kind of in a big state of confusion right now as like how it's going to play out and if there's even going to be. Mm-hmm. Everybody's kind of been wanting this one throne, but is that even going to be there really? you know, at the end of it all? So, so I feel like it's transitioning. I don't know. I, I think I was so wrapped up in who's going to be on the throne at the end that, that now it's almost this bigger, like, it's, it's life versus death, you know, fire versus ice kind of, that it's kind of taking on its own thing. It's almost like the other stuff's irrelevant right now. Or I hope they address the, the, the dead situation uh, in this last episode and maybe worry about the throne in the next season. What do you think about, it feels like they're, they're sort of rushing things. And, you know, not only are things taken less time than they would, but, like, you know, everybody goes up over the wall in the... In the last yeah, episode, the timing's kind of jumping three, around. Now, well, like three seasons ago, all those guys would have said, "Hey, back. we have yeah. to do this. It's going to be four episodes or a season later before you see that person again." And, and um, but at the same time, now that they're on their own, it's you can see that it's more like a movie or a TV show versus more like trying to do justice to books. Mm-hmm. Whereas books have a lot more detail and a lot more time goes by. So you just got to wrap it up. Yeah, I think point. I think that I think that they've done that for so long, and people are so. I don't think they're losing people because of it because people are so intrigued and, and want to know what's going on that people I think are almost in a sense like okay finally I'm getting some I'm not just getting one answer an episode I'm getting four and five so I, I think it's fine but I'm sure they're aware of it it's just you know but that's kind of where they have to go they have a lot to, a lot of loose ends to tie up and only end up one more season so so let me ask you about something that's sort of bothering me it seems like they're they're building to this romance between John and Daenerys yeah. and I promise that yeah, this is probably the first time and maybe the last time I'll ever ask a ball player, you know, <laughs> if you're okay with a, a guy on a TV, well, TV show is, potentially with getting with his that's, aunt. That's kind of what the, from what I understand, that's kind of what the Targaryens did, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. They kind of stayed within their own, it was kind of their thing. And um, so, I don't know, you can think of it as modern day times or you can think of it as... You know the show. So if it's okay the in the I show. Try to, I try to I try to think of it in, in terms of the show that that's how they did it. So that's in their blood, I guess. Do I necessarily want that? I mean, I'd rather see them find other people and be happy. <laughs> Go outside the dream. Right, the gene right. but um, yeah. but you know that's that's where the show goes. Will they? I think that they have fun with kind of teasing us, so keeping us on the edge of if it is going to happen or if yeah. it's not. And and I don't know. I don't know if they'll go there or not. What's the biggest? Like they're half a dozen like oh shit moments. That, yeah, 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 yeah. You know which one hit you the hardest? Whether it's the red wedding or Oberyn getting his head crushed or something. Well, the red wedding was huge. Oberyn, obviously from the very beginning, Ned Stark in the first end of the first season getting his head cut off was like. I think once that happened, there's not really as many oh shit moments because it's kind of like they'll do anything. I think if you're talking about recent episodes, probably that the dragon. I mean, I had actually heard. A, a, a friend of mine mentioned that wouldn't that be crazy if mm-hmm. they got a dragon on yeah. the dark side because you know they were getting giants and polar bears so it was like what's next mm-hmm. but I still think it actually happening and then them pulling the dragon out was like that was kind of like uh oh yeah. it's game on now <laughs> is there somebody you got attached to you know maybe not a main character but maybe a supporting character that you feel like you know this is my guy or my girl for whatever reason. I've always been a fan of the uh, recently of like of the hound the way he's kind of transitioned really? into a guy that's like starting to have feelings and mm-hmm. care and how he took care 
you know, how he kind of he's helped people out. He's he's shown an emotional side when he had that scene where he went to that house and he didn't want to go in there because those were the people he killed a season ago. So I don't know. I've kind of obviously there's Jon Snow and and, and um, you know, but I, I like uh, yeah. I think if there's like a wild card character that I've grown attached to, it's kind of the hound. He's how he's changed from just this vicious like killer with no feeling and no regret he just kills the kill to like somebody that you can see he's got another side to him where do you hope that, that all this ends up oh man I, I would like to see I'd like to see the Stark family happy I guess since they they've been through so, they've been through so much and it started with, with Ned getting his head chopped off I'd like for somebody to at least be on top at the end whether it's a warden of the north or the king or whatever just some kind of power where they're not just enslaved and, and treated like, like nothing so Okay, so that will bring an end to this episode, which I'm happy that we were able to record at all because you are in Houston and I am glad that you are staying dry and staying in a place where you're in a position to record podcasts. How are things where you are? Uh, Things are actually pretty good. For me, my apartment's a couple stories off the ground, and just looking outside, there's no water pooling on the streets. My wife and I have stayed inside since, I think, Friday morning was the the last Mm -hmm. time we went out. Because, I mean, the best way to get yourself into serious trouble during one of these floods is to try to drive. So, we've just Mm -hmm. been staying inside and baking a lot. But, (laughs) you know, a lot of people haven't been so fortunate. So, if you're in a position to donate to Houston Food Bank or or the Red Cross or, or, um, you know, there are plenty of, of local charities that... Uh, have been helping people out. It's, I mean, it's been incredible. You see on the news people taking kayaks and and john boats out in the flooded streets to pull people out of homes. So if you're in a position to help out, I would encourage you to do so because things are are pretty nasty down here. Yes. Well, we hope that you stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon. We will be back with another episode of the Ringer MLB show on Thursday. We are and always will be part of the Ringer Podcast Network. change. The weather changes. Your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear, knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now. 